Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today you get to hear part two of a message that Pastor Roy started last week called Homosexuality, Right or Wrong? Along with looking at homosexuality in light of the entire gospel story that is found throughout scripture, today you will get to hear some practical advice to help us in our relationships with people who struggle with same-sex attraction. We encourage you to open up your Bibles and follow along with Pastor Roy. Be right or wrong, this will be part two. If you did not get a chance to hear part one, I would encourage you to pick that up because I'm not going to be able to repeat. Uh, I've got a lot of stuff here this morning to go through, and I will not have time to repeat uh, that message. So I would encourage you to get that so you can get the full uh, picture of what we are trying to say about uh, homosexuality. And let me say at the outset, uh, we will be voting uh, as a church on our Constitution. I hope you've had a chance to read that. Um, But these are days uh, where we have to do everything we can to uphold the biblical definition of marriage. We have to do everything we can to protect ourselves legally, uh, because I will go on record right now saying I will never perform a same-sex wedding in this church or any other church or any other place. I will never do that, ever. And I want that to go on record. I will not do that. This church will not hold same-sex weddings ever as long as I'm the pastor. We will not do that because that is dishonoring to God. And we're going to honor the Lord. We're going to do it God's way. And it's not popular. But in, in the reason why you say, why are we spending two weeks on this? Why is the church making such a big deal about it? Actually, the church has not made a big deal about it. The culture has. The homosexual community has, and so therefore the church has to speak up and speak to this issue because the culture has made an issue out of it. And now we need to speak up to it and address the culture, which is exactly what Paul did in his writing. The extraordinary Calvin Coolidge, the silent and at the most monosyllabic president of the United States, was returning from church. He was asked by his wife what the sermon was about. He replied, sin. Well, urged Mrs. Coolidge, what did he say about it? He was against it, um, said the president. I hope you get a little more than I'm just against homosexuality and that God is against it. And I hope you understand that there's a message of grace and mercy and power to deliver people from that bondage that God has given us. And so therefore, the message of the gospel, although it brings a message of judgment and condemnation, it also brings a message of mercy and grace that people can be delivered from that kind of lifestyle. When we lived in Virginia, before we moved here, we lived on a road called North York Lane. And it was a very quiet street. It was a double cul-de-sac, so we hardly had any traffic. And we had a road that came up to North York Lane that teed into our road called Rome Drive, just like Rome, Italy. In fact, I was thinking I should have spiced up my resume when I sent it into Bethesda. I should have said, I live just outside of Rome. And I pastor a church just outside of Rome. Uh, That would have sounded a little bit bad. I can see it from my front porch. But anyhow, I guess I didn't do that, but I still got the job, so it worked out. Um, But anyhow, just down the street where that T is with Rome and North York Lane 
is a drain pipe that runs under the road. That drain pipe is there in the ditch so that it can catch the water and redirect the water. Our boys were pretty young. This was a number of years ago. And they were outside playing. Of course, there's not much traffic in our, our neighborhood. Pretty safe. They're down the street. They see this drainage pipe. They thought, that would be fun to climb in. And so they climbed in it and went all the way through out the other side of the road, clear through the intersection. They came home and they had mud on their elbows and knees and Pam's looking at them, where have you been? Well, we climbed through the drainage. It wasn't one of our better parenting moments. Um, anyhow, they had to be lectured, don't ever do that again. Why? Because a drainage pipe is not designed for humans to crawl through. There could have been snakes in there, spiders in there, wild animals in there. They could have got stuck in there. Um, and that's where God's coming from with the whole idea of homosexuality, that we have people climbing into something that is not fit for humans to climb into. It is not fit. It is dangerous, and God has given a warning light flashing off saying, warning, danger, stop. And that's what we did with our boys. Why did we do that? Are we trying to restrict our boys from going somewhere and doing something? No, we're trying to protect them as parents because we love them. And why are we talking about homosexuality and, and, and talking about what God says about it? Because we want to protect people from it and, and keep them out of it. And the ones who are engaged in it, that they would be delivered from it. It's vital that they have that. In their minds, they were having a good time, but in our minds, it was dangerous. And why was it dangerous to us and not to them? Because we had more knowledge than they did. And it's the biblical knowledge that God has given us that we cannot turn our backs on, that we must boldly proclaim to the culture today that God's word does not change. However, the homosexual community has written their own Bible. Did you know that? It's called the Queen James Version. And you know what verses they've changed? The verses that deal with homosexuality. They've inserted words that are not in the original language so they can feel more comfortable in their sin. God's word does not change. Same yesterday, today, and forever. And we have to preach it boldly. Homosexual behavior is contrary to God's revelation. In Leviticus, we looked at this last week a little bit, Leviticus uses strong language in denouncing homosexuality and calls it an abomination. The Hebrew word for abomination is ebah, and it appears 43 times in Ezekiel and 68 times in the rest of the Old Testament, usually with respect to grievous sins. That's what it talks about. Proverbs tells us there are six things the Lord hates and seven that are an abomination to him, according to Proverbs chapter 6. People who attempt to revise the biblical text are quick to point out that all the sexual sins listed in Leviticus chapter 18 are lumped together under the term abominations. But... Only male with male sex is singled out by itself 
as an abomination. It is the only forbidden act given this label in the entire holiness code. And that is a quote taken out of Kevin DeYoung's book, What the Bible Really Teaches About Homosexuality. On the back of your sermon notes are the resources that I've used helped in putting these messages together, and I would encourage you to check them out. The death penalty for both parties also speaks to the seriousness of the offense in God's eyes, that he said both people should be put to death. Leviticus contains moral laws that I talked about last week, and these laws are timeless. Jesus referred to Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself more than any other Old Testament verse, and it's referred to ten times in the New Testament validating the message of the book of Leviticus that it is for today. Because so many people, oh, that was written so long ago. That's not for today. It is for today. It absolutely is for today. Both Peter and Paul quoted Leviticus as part of their message to the New Testament believers to live a life of holiness. Here in 2 Corinthians 6.16 is an example. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Taken right out of Leviticus 26.12, I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. Do you see Leviticus in the New Testament? They can argue all they want to that it is not valid, but it is valid. Here's another example. First Peter talking about, for it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And look what it says in Leviticus 11.44. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Taken right out of the book of Leviticus. So we can't use that as an argument and say, well, that is not for today. It is for today. Now today we're going to look in Romans chapter 1, so I would encourage you to turn your Bibles there. And while you're there, let me just mention about Romans again, what the book of Romans is all about. The first three chapters... Chapters 1, 2, and 3 through chapter 3, verse 20 is about the condemnation and guilt of man before God. That man is guilty before God. And he goes through a list of people who are guilty. He says the heathen are guilty before God and deserve condemnation. He says the moralist is guilty before God and deserves condemnation. He says, the Jews are guilty before God and deserve condemnation. And then he says, everybody in the world is guilty before God and deserves condemnation. That's the opening of Romans. Pretty strong message. But then he comes along and with chapter 3, verse 21 through chapter 8, the message is about salvation. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of righteousness that God has imparted so we can be delivered from our sin, not under the bondage, liberated from sin, living a life of freedom in Christ. Chapters 9, 10, and 11 talk about the wisdom of God. And chapters 12 through 16 talk about the will of God, how he wants us to live. So Paul writes in Romans 1 about two aspects of God's revelation. The first aspect is found down in verses 16 and 17 where he says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel 
Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So the first thing that God reveals is his righteousness through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You and I can be delivered from our sin because Jesus came and died on the cross, shed his blood so we don't have to be under the bondage and condemnation and guilt of sin. Praise God. We can be delivered from our sin. Any sin, we can be delivered from that. So praise God that he has given that to us. However, there's another aspect of God's revelation that he has revealed to us that we don't like to talk about. In the church, even in personal conversation, it is very uncomfortable to talk about. And what is that? It's the wrath and judgment of God. He looked down in verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who do what? Who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They suppress the truth by their wickedness, and the wrath of God, the Bible says, is being revealed, and it's continuously being revealed. God is angry over sin. And then he tells us down in chapter 2, verse 1, you therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. He's saying that you are without excuse. Why? Because I have revealed myself to you through creation. If you look down in verses 19 and 20, he says, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. In other words, he has given us the revelation of himself in general revelation through the world, his creation of the world that he spoke into existence, that has laws. How can we deny a lawgiver? How can we deny a creator if there's a creation? He's saying you have it in front of you as a testimony that I am the God of the universe. I am the creator. And you have rejected that. And therefore, I have brought Jesus Christ, the gospel of righteousness to you so that you can be delivered from your sin. That's special revelation that we have in the Bible. So here's what's happened. Man is guilty of resisting God's truth. What does it say in verse 18? The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who do what? Who suppress the truth. Here's what they do. Here's what suppression means. It means to hold back or restrain. In other words, I silence it, I squelch it, I smother it, I don't want to hear it. Now, most of us, I'm pretty sure, have smoke alarms in our house. Those things have a piercing sound. Every once in a while, ours goes off. And you know how we silence it? We take the battery out. <laughs> don't want to hear that thing. That thing's piercing. It's keeping me awake. I, I don't want to especially hear it at 2 in the morning. And I take it out. Why? To suppress the noise. And what is the culture 
trying to do to the church right now? Suppress the truth. They want to shut up pastors and churches who are preaching the truth. They want to silence us. They can get married, they can do what they want, but they want silence. They want to suppress the truth. Why? Because when they hear it, it produces guilt. It confronts them with their sin. Paul was not afraid to preach the truth to the Roman Empire. And do you know that the first 14 out of 15 Roman emperors were engaged in homosexual activity? The first 14 out of 15. And Paul condemns it in chapter 1. He addresses his culture head on. Exactly what we need to do today. We speak the truth in love. We hit it head on. So there are, look down in verse 21. Although they knew God, they had this head knowledge about God. They neither glorified him as God Mistake number one, when you reject God, you do not glorify him as God. Number two, they did not give thanks to him. Number three, their thinking became futile. And number four, their foolish hearts were darkened. You can see the consequence of rejecting God as creator and rejecting the gospel is your heart becomes darkened. And you can't hear what God has to say. And what is the result of that? Well, we're going to look at these three exchanges that happened. The first exchange we just read about. Now look down in verse 22. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. They exchanged the worship of God for the worship of idols. That's exactly what they did. Man is guilty of refusing to glorify God for the foolishness of idolatry. They put something higher than God. Now let me explain idol, idol worship a moment. Because we say, well, I don't bow down to any idol. I don't have any idol in my home. We're probably all <laughs> flirting with idolatry. Because it can be money. It can be a job. It could be a spouse. It could be a child. It could be a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a car, a house, a reputation. Anything that I lift higher than God becomes idolatry. And that's what Paul is condemning. And he says, what did they do? They began to worship birds and animals and all these various things. Instead of the immortal God, they began to worship things that were mortal. And when we talk about the immortality of God, we're talking about his greatness and majesty they would not recognize. Birds were worshipped in the ancient world. The eagle was worshipped in Rome. The stork and the hawk were worshipped in Egypt. Many American Indians still worship birds as demonstrated in their totem poles. Egyptians worshipped the bull god Apis, the cat goddess Bubistus, the cow goddess Hathor, the hippopotamus goddess Opet, and the wolf god 
Wolf God, Ophois. That comes out of John MacArthur's commentary that many, many things they worshipped. And here's what it says in Deuteronomy. So that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman or any or like any animal on earth, or any bird that flies in the air, or like any creature that moves along the ground, or any fish in the waters below. He's saying, do not practice idolatry. Keep God first, is what he's saying. A.W. Tozer said, idolatry begins in the mind when we pervert or exchange the idea of God for something other than what he really is. But here's the problem. People cannot be saved through idolatry. When we think in terms of the whole gospel story, people cannot be saved and delivered from their sin through idolatry. What was God's response to this exchange? Because I think that's important. Here's what it is. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. This is the result of idolatry. And I'm going to make a statement that you may or may not disagree with, but that's okay. Think about it. I think almost all, maybe all, but certainly almost all, if not all, sexual immorality is the, is the result of idolatry. And I'll tell you why. Boyfriend and girlfriend get involved sexually. Who are they putting above God, that relationship? That young man, that young woman. Husband gets involved in adultery. Young person gets involved in fornication. What happens? It's idolatry. You have raised that relationship above the relationship of God. And that's why I believe we have so much sexual immorality in our culture today is because of idolatry. That's what God's Word says. Very plainly. Very clearly. In other words, God was allowing them to grow in their sinful passions to grow in their ungodliness and to grow in their depravity. Why? Because they rejected him as God. They rejected his glory. The second exchange found in verses 25 and 26. Let's look at it. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Be That's the second exchange. Man is guilty of rejecting God's truth to believe a lie. Oh, this relationship. I'm in love with this person, and God certainly wants me to be in love. He does, but He wants you to live in truth. As well. He wants me to live in truth and not deceit. What does Jeremiah tell us? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Our heart has to be directed by the Word of God. 
Anything else is a lie. When we reject God's truth, we believe a lie. Well, God's going to be okay with this, and we, we justify our behavior. He's not going to be okay if we are doing something contrary to his word. Man is guilty of rejecting God's truth to believe a lie. And notice what he says in verse 24. God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity. This impurity here is talking about moral uncleanness. Dishonoring their bodies among themselves. And I think this is probably referring mostly to adultery and fornication. Because he doesn't say it's contrary to nature, as we're going to see in a little bit. What is contrary to nature? There's discoveries from modern archaeology that have uncovered evidence that points toward unbridled immorality that is connected with pagan worship practices. Ephesians 4.19 says this, Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. What does he mean by losing sensitivity? You have a callus on your hand? You can stick it with a needle and not feel it. You lose feeling. You lose sensitivity. And that's what's happened with people who constantly reject God and reject the truth and embrace a lie. They've lost all forms of sensitivity. There's no honor. There's no shame to what they're doing because they've lost all sensitivity. They've given themselves over. It's interesting. In here, it says they've given themselves over. In Romans, it says God has given them over. Which is it? It's both. God has given man the freedom to rebel against him. And from the garden, man has wanted to do that. Don't eat of the tree. Rebelled against the truth. God, we can do it our way. And that's where man is today. God, we can do it our way. God will do it our way. And he allows us to have our way. The callousness. The person loses the capacity to feel shame or embarrassment. And what do they do? They put it on TV. They put it on the big screen. They parade around on the Internet because there's no shame to what they're doing. And yet Paul writes in Ephesians 5.3, But among you, the church, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. And what does he say? What was God's response to this change of giving up his truth for a lie? What's the response? Romans 1.26, what's it say? Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. How clear can God make it? And yet people are wanting to twist it all around. People 
cannot be saved by worshiping idols. People cannot be saved by believing a lie. I mean, that's why the Scripture says God gave them over. Giving up natural relations. Man is now guilty in this third exchange of rebelling against God's created order and design. It's very clear in Scripture. You know, when you have a little plug and you plug in a lamp or something into the wall, it's got two little prongs. There's a big one and a little one because it fits one way. (laughs) I mean, God's designed for human reproduction to be one way. (laughs) And one way only. It's very clear in Scripture, in nature, that God has made it that way. And man has rebelled. Same-sex sexual intimacy is an especially clear illustration of the idolatrous human impulse to turn away from God's order and design. comes out of Kevin DeYoung's book. Those who suppress the truth of God's revelation will also suppress the truth about their own sinful nature. Homosexual practice is an example on a horizontal plane of our vertical rebellion against God. And some people will say, well, what Paul was really talking about in Romans is he's talking about men having relations with boys. No, it's not. Because there's nothing in history that talks about females and lesbianism. And he condemns that. And he also uses the word for male... So it's not talking about age. He's talking about gender. He's not talking about sexual orientation. He's talking about gender. And I think that's vital that we understand that. Paul talks about both parties being consumed with passion for one another. Here's the quote from Kevin DeYoung. Gender is the point, not orientation, or exploitation, or domination, because the other thing was they talked about exploitation. The sin and godless behavior Paul is addressing is the exchanging of the natural relationship between a man and a woman for unnatural same-sex relationships. Period. Another quote by Kevin, homosexual behavior is a sin not according to who practices it or by what motivation they seek it, but because the act itself as a true suppressing exchange is contrary to God's good design. That's why it's a sin. I didn't write the rules. I just strive to live by them, to honor the Lord. Here he talks about natural relations. It does not speak of the state of our desires but to the state of our design. This refers to our natural function. And I think that's a huge statement. He's not talking about desire. Again, we are born with a sin nature, therefore my desire can be toward any type of lust, to steal, to lie, to be a bully, (laughs) to engage in drugs or alcohol or sex or homosexual behavior because of a sin nature within me that has a propensity to sin. And that's why Jesus died on the cross, so that those desires can be crucified. And I can be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb 
And that's the hope. If you are engaged in any kind of sin, God wants to deliver you this morning from your sin. If you will humble yourself and come to the foot of the cross, cast yourself at his mercy, he will abundantly pardon. Praise God. Can I hear an amen? (laughs) Are you with me? Absolutely. God will do that for us. Now, this phrase, contrary to nature, comes from paraphyson. In the ancient world, it referred to deviant forms of sexual activity, especially homosexual behavior. You've got to define the terms. And in context, it has to be done in context. Paraphyson, as a result to homosexual practice, was used by such writers as Plato, Plutarch, Philo, and Josephus. Philo was in Paul's time, near Paul's time. So there it is, right in front of us. Homosexual practice is sinful because it violates the divine design in creation. What was God's response to this third exchange? God gave them over to a debased mind. Look down in verse 28. Furthermore, Since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. A depraved mind is is not just my thought life, but it has to do with my conscience. That God has delivered my conscience over to be filled with wickedness because that's what I'm choosing. And he allows me to choose and self-destruct. If I reject his revelation, if I reject his salvation, this is a person who becomes void of judgment. They are unapproved, they are unworthy, they are worthless, they are void of judgment. They cannot discern at all. And so what do we do? We hear people screaming on television and making comments and out of their mind because they're not living in reality. They're so deluded in their thinking. This person is bent on evil. They seek evil. They thrive on evil, and they look for ways to promote evil. And he says, God's people ought not to engage in homosexual behavior or give approval to those who do. Homosexual offenders will not inherit the kingdom of God. If we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, And I read this at the end of the service, I think, last week. In verse 9, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That is very plain language. Paul didn't mix any words. He said it very clearly. If you are engaged in that kind of behavior, you will not inherit the kingdom of God because God will not allow sin into his heaven. However, God can deliver homosexuals from their sins. There's the hope. Look in verse 11, 1 Corinthians 6, 11. And that is what some of you were, past tense. 
but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. God transformed you by the power of the gospel and delivered you out of your sin. We had a CD at home we had for a number of years, and I don't know where it is right now, but we listened to it a lot a number of years ago. And it was about a man who was delivered out of homosexuality. And he, said, he, he would list all these different sins and, and issues going on in the world. And he says, what about homosexuality? Can God deliver from something like that? And he said, yes, he can. And he says, how do I know? He says, you will hear the voice of one whom God has delivered. Wow. <laughs> Made me want to listen. Hear the voice of one whom God has delivered. How do we do that? We confess our sin to God. We repent of our sin. And when we repent of our sin, people don't understand repentance. Repentance is turning around and going 180 degrees the other way. It's making a clean break with sin. Getting myself as far away from sin as I possibly can. I'm not talking about moving to the mountains. <laughs> I'm saying removing myself from sin. Confession and repentance allows a person to be reconciled in their relationship with God. I want to take just a few moments. I want to talk about some practical aspects of this. How does this play out in our culture? How do we deal with this issue on day-to-day -day issues? I've got a few questions we'll try to look at and answer. Practical issues we all face. Number one, and these, uh, by the way, uh, I got a lot of information from the same-sex marriage book by Sean McDowell, John Stone Street. Excellent book. They've got the questions in there. They've got the answers. So I'm just borrowing their material, but I would encourage you to get it if you want to get more questions and answers. How do we change our reputation from those who hate homosexuals to those who love them? How do we do that? By looking at them the way Christ does. How does Christ look at people? When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I have worked with people who had an orientation toward homosexual behavior. And my encouragement was always to take them to God's word and encourage them to follow God and, and seek the power of God in their life. I mean, that's what we have to do. We have to point them to Christ. Christ can deliver people and help them. What if I'm invited to a same-sex wedding ceremony? Oh, let me mention one other thing about our reputation. Uh, when we look at him the way Christ does, remember that every person is created by God and is therefore an image-bearer of God. What did Jesus say in John 3.16? For God so loved, what? The world. That includes every sinner, every type of sin. God loves the world. He died for it. Christ died for every sinner and desires reconciliation with them. Now, if we're invited to a same-sex wedding... Wedding ceremonies are a sacred covenant in the eyes of God, so attendance implies a complicit blessing of the union itself. 
If God does not agree with that and condemns it, how can I go and support it? Since this covenant would not be in line with Scripture, I myself would not attend a same-sex wedding in good conscience. I would have to violate my conscience to do so. I would add this that he adds in the book. If you have a strong relationship with the person getting married, you might need to sit down and explain why you disagree with the marriage in love. You could say, I think you already know my convictions on same-sex relationships, so it's probably not a surprise that I cannot come to your ceremony. The answers would hold true as well if you were asked to participate in a same-sex wedding, whether it is a family member, co-worker, or friend. And by the way, when it comes to marriage, there have been heterosexual couples I have refused to marry because they were not doing it God's way. So it's not just one brand, it's across the board. If we're not doing it God's way, we've, we've got to stop a little bit and try to do it God's way. Number three, what if a same-sex couple shows up at Bethesda Church? I put our church name in there. Or wants to send their children to Sunday school. How do we respond to that? Well, let me respond with another question. How would you respond if a cohabitation couple showed up at church and brought their children to Sunday school? Because we should respond the same way. And I hope it would be this way. The answer should be no different. And hopefully the answer is we would welcome them. The church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. It's a hospital where they can find God. And if they're willing to sit under the influence of the gospel, they've got a chance to come to Christ. We can welcome people into the church without compromising biblical standards. We're still going to preach God's word to them. And hopefully they'll come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's the goal. Church membership, however or leadership, or receiving communion would be altogether different. If they're not a believer in Christ, they could not become a member, or be involved in leadership, or receive communion. So it's altogether different with those dimensions. Number four, what if a homosexual friend, coworker, or family member begins asking me about spiritual things? Praise God first. <laughs> I mean, just praise God. And then pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. Secondly, remember a person is more than their sexual orientation. Everyone's deepest spiritual need is his or her need for God. And I would make sure that they know what sin is and then focus on God's forgiveness and grace to overcome sin. What if I'm asked what I believe about same-sex marriage? Whenever we talk about this issue, we, are, we risk being called intolerant or hateful. That's what they want to do. They want, they want us to be the enemy. Isaiah talks about people who call evil good and good evil. That's what's happening in our culture today. That's where we're at. Greg Kokel suggests this. You know this is 
actually a very personal question you're asking, and I'd be glad to answer. But before I do, I want to know if you consider yourself a tolerant or an intolerant person. Because otherwise, the discussion's over. If you're, if you're uh, in, you know, not going to be tolerant, the discussion is over. Are you open to discussing this? Secondly, is it safe to give my opinion, or are you going to judge me for my point of view? And thirdly, do you respect diverse points of view, or do you condemn others for convictions that differ from yours? I think those are excellent questions to ask. What kind of playing field are we talking about here? Are we on a level playing field? And then this last question, what if I hear a fellow Christian bashing homosexuals? You may need to call them out for their inappropriate words or actions. We have no right to bash anyone. I'm a sinner saved by grace. You're a sinner hopefully saved by grace. If you're a sinner and not saved by grace, I hope you will be saved by grace today. We should not, by our actions or our passivity, enable the mistreatment of the homosexual community. Let me give you the two closing verses. 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Prepare yourself for the questions. Prepare yourself. Know how you're going to respond. It's coming. The questions are coming. And secondly, Ephesians 4.15, instead speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. That should be our desire. Let's stand for a word of prayer. As we stand this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I realize this is not an easy subject to deal with, but it is one that the Word of God talks about very plainly and clearly, and one that God expects us to live by. And so I just have a question for you. Are you dealing with a sin in your life that you have not confessed to God? Are you in a right relationship with God? Have you availed yourself of His mercy? If you read through the opening chapters of Romans, you will understand that we are all condemned under sin. It is very clear. Paul says that every mouth may be silenced and all the world guilty before God. So the question is not, am I guilty? I am guilty. The question is, what am I done with my guilt? Have I confessed my sin to God? Have I repented and turned from that sin and trusted in the finished work of Christ on the cross for my salvation? If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, my desire is that you would give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ today. You would bow before him, confess your sin, repent, and trust Christ. Secondly, for those of us who are believers, we need to pray for us as a church to respond, to be able to speak the truth in love, to not compromise, to boldly and unashamedly proclaim God's truth, 
and to call people out of darkness to light. And we need to seek to glorify God in everything we do. Maybe you have an idol in your life and you didn't realize that there's something that you have put higher than God. The Bible calls it idolatry. And we need to seek the Lord and repent of that and trust him for what he wants to do in our lives. If you have a spiritual need in your life, we are here to help you. I trust that you'll talk to myself or someone after the service. Call the office. Uh, we would love to sit down with you and open God's word with you and help you. Whatever your struggle is, we would like to do that. Right after I pray this morning, we are going to come back in just a few minutes. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.